So Money episode 1235, Stephanie Kibler, founder of the blog, Poorer Than You. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I lost my job because I'd had an on-campus work-study job. And when I dropped out, I couldn't keep my job. No job, no direction, not sure what to do. And all the blogs are saying like, get your 401k match. And I'm like, well, that's, that's great advice for someone who has managed to complete school and has managed to get a job. That's great advice. For me, it felt like there wasn't anything that represented my journey. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We have a special guest on the show today. She is the founder of the blog, Poorer Than You. Stephanie Kibler came onto the online personal finance scene way back in 2007, back when uh, personal finance websites were part of the blogosphere. And she was one of the very first voices for low-income millennials and young women. She started her journey as a film school dropout in a Rust Belt city heading into the Great Recession. Her uphill money journey played out like a comedy of errors, but she says she's overcome every curveball thrown so far and is now committed to only doing work that she loves. Throughout the years, she's worked to help build up online communities focused on financial literacy for women and other underrepresented groups, especially those with low or moderate incomes. Here's Stephanie Kibler. Stephanie Kibler, welcome to So Money. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to learn about you, your journey to launching Poorer Than You. This is, listeners, a fantastic resource, personal finance resource, blog. Started as a blog, but it's now so much more. For you, this was an attempt to carve out a space in the personal finance world that you felt was underserving a particular market, and specifically people who identify as low, middle-income Tell me why you wanted to start Poorer Than You, Stephanie. I know that for a lot of personal finance experts, the the journey is very personal. It started in 2006. The end of 2006 is where I started. I was in college and I had a money problem and didn't really know it. I thought I was doing okay. I don't know why I thought that because I couldn't even really afford food. I was putting it on a credit card with a balance. I was buying the 33 cent boxes of pasta at the grocery (laughs) store at college. Um, But I guess I just thought like, that's a college thing. You know, I'm living on pasta and ramen and uh, putting it on a credit card and I'll graduate and I'll pay it off. Um, But a friend sent me some links to some personal finance stuff because they knew I was starting to like feel very uneasy about money. So they sent me some links, some blogs, and I started reading and I used a student loan repayment calculator and found out, oh, no, when I graduate, I won't be able to easily pay this back. And it sent me into a spiral that kind of went in two different directions. There was a good direction where I was learning a lot and I was figuring out how I can make the situation better. But I also learned there's such a thing as a cap on the amount of federal student loans you can take out. And I was about to hit it. So I actually had to drop out of college 
And that was the point at which I started Poorer Than You was a couple days after I dropped out when I was sitting at home feeling really low. I'd been reading these other personal finance blogs, but none of them were really for someone who was a young woman in college who didn't have an income. I lost my job because I'd had an on-campus work-study job. And when I dropped out, I couldn't keep my job. No job, no direction, not sure what to do. And all the blogs are saying like, get your 401k match. And I'm like, wow, that's that's great advice for someone who has managed to complete school and has managed to get a job. That's great advice. For me, it felt like there wasn't anything that represented my journey. But because I was learning so much, I was very confident, maybe overconfident that I was going to figure this all out. So I wanted to document it as I went for the next person like me who came along and went, wait, where's something that describes what I'm going through. Where's someone who knows what it's like to be in this place where you are surrounded by other people who I either had people in my small hometown who didn't have a lot of experience with money, or I had the kids at school who didn't have a lot of experience with not having their parents be able to support them. And so neither of these support systems that I had developed in in college or at home was really able to help me. So I turned to the internet and I wanted to be there as a resource for other people to turn to once I figured it out. When you talk about turning to the internet in 2007 or 6 or whenever this was or or other resources, what 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 did you learn from? Where did you get your information? Where were you finding trustworthy advice? So at the time I dropped out, personal finance blogs were just beginning. There were these very early personal finance blogs, some of which are still around. Uh, At that time, the first link I was ever sent was uh, Ramit Sadie's I Will Teach You To Be Rich, which had been around a couple years at that point. And that really spoke to me because he was also a college student or he had just graduated at that point. Um, So he was the closest to me in terms of age and where he was at in the journey, even though we had a lot of other differences. But it introduced me to to this whole world. And there was Resources like MSN Money existed, and that's where I found calculators and things, um, and some of those early blogs that I turned to. And I also had started reading books. At that point, there were a few books um, targeted at younger people. I read The Motley Fool's Investment Guide for Teens uh, when I was 18. I had already read that. So again, this is where I had sort of this like, oh, no, I'm doing fine. I've read a book about how to invest. And when I graduate, I, I know what I'm doing. Um, this overconfidence thing I had going on where I didn't even recognize the problem. But, you know, and then I read like Susie Orman had her um, money book for the young, fabulous and broke. I read that almost immediately after I dropped out. But even then it was hard because, you know, most personal finance advice is just going to assume you have an income. (laughs) So to answer your other question of what did I do? So the first thing I had to focus on was getting some money coming in, which was difficult. I went home to a small town in the Rust Belt, uh, an area that wasn't doing well economically. They were experiencing the Great Recession before the Great Recession happened. um, And it wasn't I wasn't able to find a job locally, but I, as I continued to build myself up in this world of personal finance, 
I made friends and someone hired me to do some work on their site. At that time, we didn't have a name for it. Now you'd say I was a virtual assistant, um, but that's what I did. And I just did low level tasks for $10 an hour on the internet. And everyone thought this was the weirdest thing. Like you can't make money on the internet. That's not a real thing. That's not, you can't work from home. That's not a real thing. And that, but that's what I was doing in 2007. And, um, working to pay off my debt because I had this credit card debt and then I had debt to the school because they wanted my whole housing fee for the term that I dropped out of and they wanted it immediately. And I said, well, I just lost all my financial aid, so I don't know where you think that's going to come from. But (laughs) they threatened to ruin my credit. I worked out a payment plan with them, even though I had no income and just had to make it happen in order to make those payments, the minimum payment on the credit card and then pay it off eventually. I was able to go back to school um, a bit later, about uh, a couple terms later, I was able to get back in. Some of that was just luck. I had been working, but that was really just helping me tread water. My parents decided to downsize and move, and they moved to within commuting distance of my college. And I went to the college and I changed majors to a major that was going to be cheaper. And then I worked three jobs while in full-time school to make it work since I didn't have the full student loan amount that I could was able to get earlier. I had to make that up. That's incredible. I mean, just that dedication and hustle is, we're going to get to some of that because I want to know where that comes from. But the moment when you found out that you could no longer afford college because you had reached the cap for federal aid, how did you feel? I can only imagine feeling shell-shocked, angry, uh, sad. Like I'm sure you went through all the grief stages, but why hadn't anyone told you, right? Like that's uh, to me, right. that's engaging. Yeah, I why was stumble upon this in the middle of the night on the on Google. Right. It was furious because I was in the financial aid office of my college every year. I went in there every year to try and figure things out because I had a sense that this whole thing with student loans was not set up in a way that was good for me and that they were just kind of pushing it off like, oh yeah, just get more loans, just get more loans. Um, And that they didn't really want to deal with it because every time I went in and tried to talk to them because I was getting unsubsidized student loans above the usual amount because my parents had bad credit. And so every year um, they had no money and they had bad credit. They had to apply for Parent PLUS loans and be denied, which further dinged their credit in order for me to get more unsubsidized loans to stay in school. And Even that was not enough, even with doing that. But because of that, I was in the financial aid office all the time. And somehow it never occurred to them to tell me like, oh, in the middle of your junior year, you're going to hit the subsidized cap and you're only going to be able to take out unsubsidized loans. And those have a limit per year. And you're not going to be able to continue covering this for your junior and senior year of college. Nobody said that. No one except this this article I found online about student loans. What did your family think when you started the blog? And maybe you can connect some dots for us in this storytelling, because I want to know what your relationship with money was growing up. You already kind of described growing up in the Rust Belt, like probably not rich, but who cares how much money there was around? What was the relationship, right, that you had with money? And then how did that show up for you at this stage of your 
poorer than you blog journey? Yeah, I was always sort of scrappy and hustling. And I get that from my mom. She always had side hustles going on long before anybody ever called them side hustles. Uh, She had a hot dog cart business when I was a teenager. She had a custom embroidery business before that. She helped people with computers before that. And she was always doing this work on the side, but somehow it was never quite enough. It was like a boom and bust economy in our household, you know? Um, And part of that, I think, comes from the fact that uh, my mom was not raised with the same money acumen that maybe her brother got from her parents. I think that was a real baby boomer thing. And so she didn't learn it from her parents. She didn't have that to pass on. She just had she just had the hustle, but she didn't maybe know what to do with it, um, you know, all the time. So I was I followed in her footsteps. I was constantly starting my own little businesses. So it was no surprise to anyone when I started this blog and I monetized it, quote unquote, right from the beginning. But still, I think everyone, including my family, was very skeptical of how, you know, how do you make money online? Do you think you can make money online? Like what makes you think that you will, you're not Google, you're not a company, you're just a college dropout now. Um, and so, you know, they, which is what interject a lot of male CEOs proudly and, and founders proudly put that in their bio. Yeah. I think there's something about, you know, there's like two schools of thought on this. Like, you know, you could be the college dropout and be really like renegade and proud of it. And then there's others to point of regret or whatever you want to call it for them. I, I think they just wanted me to take the quote unquote safe path. You know, yeah. I think it's hard, especially when you're not coming from a, a background of a lot of money. So a lot of these founders that are proudly college dropouts, they also had parents who could, you know, fall back on. Right. Yeah. Or who could give them seed money for their business. And that was just, you know, not my family's story. They wanted me to take the more well-trodden path that was easy to see and understand um, and maybe do something like this on the side, which is what I ended up doing, uh, was going back to school and continuing to do the blog and other work on the side. But sometimes I think Maybe if I'd had more support, things could have gone in a different direction uh, if people had been more supportive of the idea. But that's neither here nor there. I can't blame anybody for being skeptical in early 2007 about making money on the Internet. (laughs) Well, fast forward to 2021. You've been doing this blog now for 14, 15 years. And in all those years, not only have you experienced different levels of work and money and earning, but the world, right, has also seen recessions. What's your summary of what's happening with the state of personal finance today? Are you happy with the progress that you are seeing? Where are the areas that need improvement? Is your audience struggling more now in different ways than they were 14 years ago? Like, I would love to kind of get your take because you're so much on the front lines and and speak a little bit about what you're hearing and learning about. What I have seen over the years is that as as more people have gotten access to the internet, it's 
brought more people who are low or moderate income into these circles. And personal finance has, since its inception, since newspapers started running columns on personal finance, since personal finance books started coming out, always targeted upper middle class or above. But now the access to all of this information has been democratized and has reached people who ordinarily would not have had access to like stock tips and things like that. And so I do see more people struggling. And I don't think it's because people are struggling more now. I think it's because people who are struggling are more able to communicate. They're on social media. They have the internet in their pocket because you can get the internet for a fairly low price with your phone plan and everybody can be on here together. And personal finance has not kept up with that. They have not kept up with the fact that everyone is out there to receive the information. And still most personal finance targets people with money (laughs) already, which is very strange to me because it's the people who least need the help who get the most help. Right. I wonder if there is some economics to that because, well, who buys stuff? People with right. money. And if you have a blog or a book or a course, do you want to market to people who have negative net worth? I would hope that we could and I'll still like win, but there is almost a calculus behind this. How has that been for you? Maybe as a point of encouragement for others who are listening to say, hey, you can actually educate low middle income people about personal finance as a business and it can be successful. Yeah. I think people with money are the low hanging fruit and that's why people go for them. It's like, oh, I'm going to go where the money is. But there are untapped markets. There are people who they could have money (laughs) if, if they get a little bit of help at the beginning. So if you can come up with business models where access is free at first, or it's, you know, pay what you can, um, or a sliding scale, or, you know, something that starts out as lower amounts and then builds up to bigger courses and things like that. You can reach these untapped markets and turn them into markets with money. And I think it's a little short-sighted, especially when the bigger fish out there, (laughs) you know, they're going, the sharks are going after this pool of you know, people with means already, instead of thinking about, you know, how can I reach a market that's not being reached and get them to that level? It's harder though. You know, I can't quite blame people for going where the money is, but it's maybe even thinking about the long-term play. And that also has to do with where you are, Uh, Some people are like me where they needed money when they started doing this work and you maybe don't have the luxury of helping other people who don't have money because you need to go after the people who can pay you because you need to eat and you need to pay rent and you need to take care of your family. What is your advice for somebody who is coming to poorerthanyou.com and is that college student who is, for lack of a better word, um, and then realizing I'm going to graduate with student loans? And my job isn't going to cover enough of that and all my other expenses. I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of advice, but we only have so much time. So tell us where you would advise this person to begin. I think the best place to begin, and this is pretty universal, 
people hear this a lot, but it really is true, is to get organized, to get a handle on your current situation and not to worry yet about what you're going to do and just make sure you know what is. When I was in college, when I dropped out because of my student loans, other college students were telling me they didn't even know if they had student loans. They said things like, my parents take care of all the paperwork and I don't know if I have student loans or how much I've taken out or how much I will take out. Find that out. You know, If you're in college and your parents have been doing all of the paperwork, tell them, that you're ready to take a look at it yourself. You're ready to take the reins. It's scary, but it's the best way to just dig in and get a handle on where you are. And from where you are, once you have a good handle on that, my next piece of advice is to try and find a few small wins very quickly. People made fun of me even at the beginning because I was putting $5 a month aside for retirement uh, and on top of all the other things I was doing. And they were like, oh, that $5 is not going to get you anywhere. You're not going to retire sooner or even on time just because you started saving $5 a month in college. But there was something so satisfying about it was just a savings account that I labeled retirement savings. And there was so satisfi- something so satisfying about saying, I did it. I have saved for retirement already. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to do that and build that habit and have that happen right at the beginning and establish that as early as you can, because you'll feel better about your money because a lot of this can be really overwhelming and scary. And it's okay to just get a few small wins, a little bank bonus for opening a new bank account that doesn't have any fees and you get a little bonus, that's a great small win to start with because you get a little money, you've eliminated fees, you're setting yourself up in a good place. I, I attest to what you said about, you know, make sure you know the information. I've visited colleges and I go back to Penn State a lot, my alma mater, and I talk to, you know, a lot of times sophomore, junior your students and I am, they come up to me and they're like, well, what, what's your advice? You know, I'm graduating and like, okay, well, what's, do you have student loans? Yes. How much? I don't know. I'm like, okay, before you come up to me, maybe you should get straight with your numbers because it's true. I think we forget that step. And I love step number two, which is really dealing with the emotions of it, getting yourself motivated, inspired. Community is also really important. I know that reading some of the comments on your blog, a lot of people are like so happy to know that you're out there and they feel seen. And I think that's a huge part of it too, to not do this alone. If you are feeling isolated, that you don't have to do this by yourself. Absolutely. And the great thing now is that you can find a group of people like you working on money on the internet. When I started, again, I had to for my own group, because there weren't that many people around my age and in my gender who were doing this. But now, whatever your demographic, there is a Facebook group or a Discord server or something going on where there are people like you who are working on their money. I've seen uh, people using the budget software, uh, you need a budget if they have ADHD. Like that's a a group I've seen. I've seen, you know, all of these micro groups that you can, yeah, exactly. Like I, I need help with this software and I have ADHD, you know, for, for race and for your economic level and 
I'm a part of the administrative team for the Women's Personal Finance Group. You know, there are people who look like you, who have your situation. You can find your your people and they can help you because it can be hard to hear advice, even if it's the right advice. It can sometimes be hard to hear it if it comes from someone who isn't like you and doesn't know what it's like to be you. And it the same advice can stick or feel better coming from someone who's been where you are. Going back to your own personal journey, Stephanie, I know that you've shared on your blog your milestone wins as well. You, you've you had small wins at the beginning, but you've also had some big wins throughout the years. What, how do you establish financial goals and where are you currently in your journey to achieve certain you know, financial milestones. I, I believe that you wanted to reach um, $100,000 in net worth by a certain age. I'm sure you've blown past that. So what's next? I'm a very big believer in goals. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make with money is they'll just save like in a savings account, or they'll just open an investment account with no goal. And I think that's usually a mistake. There's probably a small subset of people that that works for, but if you're having trouble saving, even though you feel like you're doing all the right steps, that's probably the reason is there needs to be a goal. And it can be a little goal or a big goal. For me, I seem to always have at least 10 goals going at once. And that sounds sort of chaotic, but I treat it the same way people with a lot of debt treat their debt, where they do a snowball method, which is where I establish little minimum amounts that I want to be putting toward all of these goals every month. And then I put one top priority goal at the top and throw everything else I have at that top priority goal. And the goals, I don't really have maybe like a process. Like some people will say like, oh, sit down and do smart goals. Mostly just if something occurs to me as something I'd like to be saving for, I add it to the list and I start saving for it because I think it's better for me to just do it and not overthink it. Um, to just get started. Because you can always change it later. I've shifted money between goals. I've made changes in the past. You can change things, but you have to get started in order to be able to change them later. You can't change something you haven't even started doing. So it's better to just, just get started. So I do like to set these little milestone goals for myself, just to keep me excited about the next thing. And it's usually something like that, like having 100,000 in savings before I turned 30. I missed it by a little bit, but not much. <laughs> and, you know, I had an unplanned pregnancy there. So I give myself a, um, <laughs> an excuse. <laughs> I had an unplanned pregnancy while on a, um, an ACA marketplace health plan. So that cost Ooh. big bucks, but I still got there. I think nine months uh, after the goal or something like that, like just after I had turned 30, um, I managed to get to a hundred thousand in savings and just going from there. And right now the goal that I'm looking forward to the most is this concept of coast FI, which is financial independence, which is the idea where you have enough saved in your investments that you don't technically need to add anything more to your retirement accounts to be able to retire on time. So I'm hopefully within about a year of that, my husband and I within about a year of having enough in the accounts that in theory, compound growth itself would carry us to retirement. That doesn't mean we're actually going to stop. Yeah. It's just a fun milestone to say, okay, 
we did it. Now, technically, we could stop saving. We're not gonna, but we could. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really interesting mindset shift and a different way to look at it. I'd like to see more on that. I think that's an interesting way to think about your retirement goals as not, we just kind of talk about it like this thing that you pay into until you retire, which is usually 65 for a lot of people. Uh, But maybe if you just save until you're 45 or 50 and then it coasts, could that be it for you? That'd be interesting. I'm going to go do some of the math. Yeah, it's there are some great uh, Coast FI calculators out there. A website called The Fioneers has a really good one. They could help you calculate that. What I like about the Coast FI milestone is it opens up options. I love milestones where your options just sort of open up before you and suddenly you have all these things. Like I can keep saving for retirement and maybe we can have a much cushier retirement. Like we're going from just the normal hanging out with the grandkids retirement to maybe traveling the world for several years retirement or retiring earlier or making a change now, such as taking a lower paying job or starting to just do freelancing and spend time with my kids because we only need to cover current costs and we don't technically need to be saving anymore. And it just opens up all those options that we could do. And so that's why I really like it as a milestone. But I know it also... It can sound scary when you're at the beginning of your journal, like, oh, yeah, how am I ever going to get to having so much money that my retirement is taken care of in my mid 30s? I I hesitate because I don't want to, like, scare people off (laughs) from thinking because it seems so big. It seems huge. Like, how could someone have that much saved up? Um, And I would not have told you back in 2007 when I was dropping out of college that I would be anywhere near this point by my mid thirties. So I think part of what I've been trying to do is connect the dots on how I got from where I started to where I am now. And of course I've had the blog the whole time to sort of show the steps along the journey. But my goal now is to go back and reflect and look at what parts of it were things I did and what parts are replicable, but also admitting like what parts were luck, you know, and what parts, you know, are different now. I had some struggles when I finally did graduate college. It was 2009. It was the worst part of the Great Recession when I graduated. Took me six months to find any work. And when I did, it was $100 a week. Um, And that was the first work I found after six months. And so... It's been a bumpy journey, and I just think there's a lot to going back and reflecting on how did that all end up here? Yeah, going back and giving credit where it's due, but I think sometimes you create your luck too. I think that it helps to know where you want to go, and then when opportunities, which are lucky, present themselves, you go for them right? You grabbed onto that lucky, that lucky charm. Sometimes people just kind of miss out on that luck because they weren't looking for it. They weren't looking for the lucky stuff. That's true. Yeah. There's opportunities everywhere. It, It helps to sort of have a vision for where you are going, defining opportunities, like realizing opportunities before, because sometimes they're disguised as hard 
things to do. Like, you know, $100 a week job is like, oh, but you're like, okay, I'm going to make this work and I'm going to turn this into something. And, 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 you know, that's part luck because it presented itself, but also you, because you took that chance. That's very true. And I, the luck that I had that I was able to take advantage of was a result of starting to prepare myself, even when it was hard or when, you know, other people weren't necessarily supportive. One thing that I did, you know, in college, I paid off that credit card debt and I paid off the accumulated interest on my new student loans. And I started building up a little cash cushion for what I called getting established after college. And I did not realize how much I was going to need that because adulting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Adulting itself is hard, but just in general with the great recession and everything, I had no idea how much I was really going to need that money to carry me through until I could find steady work. And even when I did find steady work, it was sort of treading water, but I was able to do that and not maybe have to move home again with my tail between my legs again, uh, because I had built myself up from the last time. Well, Stephanie, we're so happy to make your acquaintance and share you with our audience. Everybody check out poorthanyou.com. Thanks again. Thank you. To learn more about Stephanie, check out poorthanyou.com slash making dash do making dash do. That link will be provided also on the So Money Podcast website. Be sure to send me your questions for our Friday episode of Ask Farnoosh, and I'll see you back here at the end of the week. I hope your day is so money. So money.